It's official, Donald J. Trump is running for president in 2024, and the show starts now. Last night from Mar-a-Lago, our 45th president announced he is running for a third time. And I'll be honest, when I saw him walk on that stage, I got chills. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, and my fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. This will not be my campaign. This will be our campaign altogether. Instead of putting America last, as the Biden administration has done very, very openly and bravely, because I can't imagine saying, let's put America last. I think it takes courage. We will again put America first. Paper ballots, same day voting, voter ID, so simple. And, and... We want all votes counted by election night. And our country was on track for an amazing future because I made big promises to the American people. And unlike other presidents, I kept my promises. I kept them. His accomplishments in four short years are undeniable. In many ways, Trump handed Joe the keys to the kingdom he built. And what did Joe do with it? He messed it up. Every inch, every corner, every area Joe and Democrats touched, sniffed, and smelled turned to crap. Donald Trump reminded us of that last night, though he really didn't have to. But his announcement speech wasn't just about knocking Joe. It was about the return of policy Trump, America first Trump, let's get it done Trump. Point by point and policy by policy, Trump gave us a vision of what America was and could be, and he sold it. I don't have a doubt in my mind Trump would be a great president again, no doubt at all. The only question that lies ahead is, can he unite Americans? Hell, can he even unite Republicans? Can he overcome the media, big tech, rhinos, January 6th and all the cards stacked against him? Well, he's done it before. Against all odds in 2015 and 2016, he defeated 16 Republicans, all politicians, all well-qualified, and most with big money behind them. If we learned anything in the last six years is that you should never count out Donald J. Trump. So the redemption tour starts now. Still ahead, if you're like me, you're wondering what the actual hell happened in Arizona. How does a candidate who hid for most of the campaign refuse to debate and has no clear agenda for Arizona beat Carrie Lake? Well, Brandon Tatum is back and we're both fired up. That's next. For me, it was the biggest gut punch of all the midterm cycle, and I don't even live in Arizona. On Monday night, almost a full freaking week after Election Day, Katie Hobbs, who also happens to be Arizona's current Secretary of State and in charge of certifying the election, narrowly, and I mean narrowly, defeated Carrie Lake in the state's gubernatorial race. But in accordance with Arizona's new election law, if it pans out that Hobbs won by a margin of less than 0.5%, a recount will be triggered. It's all a mess and a huge disappointment, but here to sift through it all with me is host of the Officer Tatum Show and podcast, Brandon Tatum. Oh, thank you for being back so soon. Uh, you're the first person I wanted to talk to about this because I know that you were heavily invested, as we all were, in this Carrie Lake, Katie Hobbs race. So your top line thoughts when you saw all of the media outlets call it for Hobbs. 
Well, it was very disappointing. First of all, the reason I'm back, Tommy, because I love your show. I think it's incredible. And But I, I was very disappointed. You know, we put a lot of work in. Carrie Lake is one of the most uh, electrifying candidates. She's a great person. I mean, she's so authentic. She reached out to people across the aisle as much as she could. And it was very unfortunate to see some deranged leftists have an opportunity to win the governorship here in the state of Arizona. I don't believe that she represents Arizona. I don't think she's a good pick for Arizona. However, I think there's a lot of issues on the Republican side that we should address uh, so that we can win an election next time. So there's kind of two parts of this story. One of them is, did we do a bad job in Arizona as we did kind of throughout the midterms with campaigning, with messaging, with all of that kind of thing? And then the other half of this is the margin of error here and all the issues that Arizona experienced with its election process. We know it took almost a full week. We don't know if Hobbs won by larger than the margin of error that would need to trigger a recount. We know that Carrie Lake has still not conceded the election. So there's two things at play, but I want to go back to Carrie Lake and conceding the election. Do you think she's going to do that or do you think there's going to be some legal action? What have you heard? I've been hearing through the grapevine there is legal action uh, in pursuit um, I'm hoping that they trigger a recount um, because Carrie Lake did a really good job. The, the margins are tight. And I think that people that don't live in Arizona don't realize that Arizona's elections go this way every single time. In 2018, they took two weeks um, to pick uh, between Barton McSally and Kirsten Cinema, and everybody was upset. And, and I don't think that in Arizona it's just a matter of uh, impropriety of the election. It's just we are antiquated in the way that we count our votes. We literally count the mail-in ballots first, then we count the early votes. We don't even count people who show up on election day to vote. We don't count them on election day. We wait to several days after. If we have an influx of people who vote on election day, we're going to be counting for a week or two. If we have an influx of people who are voting earlier by mail, it's going to take a tremendous amount of time for us to count those before we even get to the same day votes. So Arizona's elections are, are completely tumultuous. I think there's a better strategy in which we can uh, you know, go about to make sure it's cleaner and people are not sus suspecting that there's fraud. OK, another thing I forgot to mention is the machines. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theory theorist. And I don't believe, unless I have complete evidence that they're cheating, that this is a, a, a matter of them stealing the election. However, it's very concerning to me that three or a third of the machines were not working properly for several hours in Maricopa County alone. This has never happened in our state. And just so happened, Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, she's over elections. Now, I'm not trying to say it's, it is or it isn't, but I'm saying that's suspicious and we need to look into that. But I do not believe that that is the reason or have anything to do with, with whether or not we lost this election for Blake Masters or Carrie Lake. Let me just give you a stat. In Blake Masters' race, Mark Kelly raised $75 million against Blake Masters. Blake Masters only raised $9 million. If Stevie Wonder can see who's going to win that election, you have an incumbent who's saying that he's a moderate. He has tens of millions of dollars more than Blake Masters in order to push an agenda or push to low-information voters, and that's what he did. Kerry Lake got outspent. We are getting outspent in our elections by a long shot. There's no way you can win if we don't spend the money. Also, what people don't understand about the state of Arizona is there's McCain Republicans and then there's MAGA Republicans. In the midterms, in the uh, 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 primary election, we had Karen Taylor Robeson, the, the Republican Party, and, and she was able to raise $19 million 
in the midterm election, or I'm saying the primary election against Carrie Lake. She narrowly lost against Carrie Lake. We have a, a huge divide in the Republican Party in the state of Arizona. Now, the question is, and Carrie Lake may, may or may not have lost this race. If she has, she only lost by a small amount, maybe like 10,000 votes. How many Karen Taylor Robeson Republicans who hate Trump, hate MAGA Republicans, refuse to, to uh, give a vote to Carrie Lake? If it was only 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 out of the 380,000 that voted for Karen Taylor Robeson, that's the election right there. Well, see, we're going to get into we're going to get into a little bit of this when we talk about Donald Trump, because it's going to be, I think, the same thing headed into 2024. But this is what I don't get about the Republican Party. I understand wanting your candidate. I understand that there's a divide. Guess what? There's a divide on the Democrat side, too. You've got the squad, the far left radicals, and then the slightly less radical types like the Schumers and the Pelosi's. But they've got a divide, too. However, they always come together. They always support their party. They always support who's ever up for election. They come together. Why are we unable to do that? Are we that self-righteous and pearl-clutching that we can't see the forest through the trees here? Because quite honestly, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we, we're independent people. We're not sheep. So it's very difficult for us to come together and, and put our differences aside. I'm telling you right now, in, in the state of Arizona, our current governor, Doug Ducey, who won by 300,000 votes, he refused to support Carrie Lake when she became the nominee. Karen Taylor Rosen, who had half of the votes, she refused to endorse and support Carrie Lake. Um, and I, I believe it's because their hatred and disdain for Donald Trump. That's pretty much where it stems for Donald Trump and the rhetoric, the MAGA Republicans, they hate them so much. They're willing to allow a Democrat to win in the gubernatorial race than let uh, you know, a Republican win or at least vote for the Republican. And even if they have to hold their nose to do it. See, but this is what's frustrating to me, though, is that I think that you should still I get us being independent. I get us being free thinkers. We love that. We should debate. We should have robust debates with other Republicans. I've always been about that. I'm for that. However, when you're up against a Democrat that you know is going to do nothing for the state, you could at least vote for the Republican and then have those conversations, have a come-to-Jesus moment with these McCain-type Republicans, the establishment types, and then the MAGA-types, the Kerry Lakes. There should have been a discussion there. Hey, you know what? We got you elected. Now we want to come to the table and we want to make sure that you're running this thing a little bit more establishment than maybe you wanted to. That's what the Democrats do every time. But we are unable to do that, which is why I want to get into Donald Trump now. I'm sure you watched his announcement last night. Uh, I have to admit to you, although you and I last week discussed this, I was a little conflicted of whether I wanted him to announce before, especially before Georgia. But I will be honest, when I saw him walk on that stage, it made me excited. What was your feeling when you first saw him come out on that stage and then overall of his entire speech? Yeah, when he came out on the stage, uh, Tommy, I think the, the way we felt in 2016 initially when we first came out, I was excited. He was talking about American values. We're going to win our country back. All the things that he said in 2016 without the division, without attacking people, without blaming elections or anything like that, he took responsibility. He, he touted the successes and the accomplishments in the midterms, and I almost jumped through the TV. I said, this is what Trump needs to do if he's going to have any chance of getting anywhere in 2024. And I don't think that he still have reached that point where I'm 100% I'm confident he'll win in 2024. But I do think that he helped himself a lot. I think he riled up the base. I think he got everybody excited, especially in the first probably 10, 15 minutes of his speech. 
Yeah, I think it went a little bit long, if I'm being completely honest. But way in, too long. Yeah, initially, though, well, you know, we know the man loves the camera, so he wanted to keep talking and talking. Everyone was there. I get it. I thought he should have stopped, like you said, after about 15 minutes. He outlined what he did for the country. He outlined what he will do for the country, something that Republicans did not do in the midterm elections at large. They did not outline their plan for the country. They said everything sucks, but they didn't say this is how we're going to fix it point by point. Donald Trump did that last night, so I will give him a lot of credit for that. He also didn't take any jabs at Ron DeSantis. He didn't mention 2020. You know, he briefly mentioned a little thing about how he wants the paper ballots and the election night counting because it's personal for him. We all know that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. But I was really proud of the message he put out. Now, the question remains, will he stick to that? Because his people are probably all telling him to stick to that, but we know Donald Trump sometimes doesn't listen to his people, for better or for worse. So I wonder, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming years, are we going to revert back to 2020 vendetta Trump? Well, I'll tell you what, we can't because we will lose. We will lose in a landslide. I made this analogy on my uh, on my show yesterday about the stock market. I said Donald Trump, before he joined the race in 2020, I mean, the 2016, he was at one, $1 a share. When he went and he won the election, he went up to uh, $1,000 a share. By, the, by 2020, he was at $1,200 a share. After COVID and after January 6th, he went down to $400, I mean, $600 a share. He trashed DeSantis, he went down to $400 a share. And I was telling people, if he does well in this speech, he can go back up to six, $700 a share, and he would be doing well. If he begins to bash people, if he began to continue to talk bad about Mitch McConnell and divide the party, and I'm not saying it's only his fault, but this is what he has to do. If he divides the party, continue to talk bad about people, he continue to do stuff on Truth Social, his stock is going to plummet down to $200 a share, and we are not going to get a victory whatsoever. Donald Trump, and I'll say this, and I know people may not want to hear me say this, I, I almost think that it's impossible for him to win regardless. And this is why. Because I feel like the media has done a number on the Trump brand. You wear a MAGA hat, you are a racist, misogynist, uh, xenophobic, homophobic person without anybody listening to what you have to say. They have deemed Donald Trump as an election denier, which we know that that's not even a word because Democrats have been denying elections since uh, Al Gore. So, But they have branded it that way. They have branded it that he's too divisive. He's too radical. And, and I'm afraid that that's going to be enough to sway low-information voters to not support him at all. Now, I pray to God that that's not going to be the case. But unfortunately, we have to be real with ourselves. If we put him up as the 2024 candidate, I, I just don't know if, if the rhetoric has, has soaked into the soft brains of people in this country so much so that they will not ever stand for another Donald Trump uh, presidency. He did a tremendous job. He did well for this country. But they control the media. They control the universities. They control the rhetoric. They control the hearts of people because some people's family members will not let them come to a family dinner if they supported Trump. Right. I just saw a video of a girl bashing her father at his funeral. She literally called him a misogynist, racist Trump supporter. The derangement is so soaked in and ingrained in the minds of a lot of people, especially the young generation, that I'm fearful that Donald Trump may not be able to recover. And it may not be his fault. It's just the reality of our country. Yeah. You know, I have kind of mixed feelings on that because I think that you're right. And I've thought that for a while now. It's it's really unfortunate. But there's 
two feelings that I have. One is, do we say, listen, we need to win. So we need to put up somebody that can win. That's not going to be an establishment type, by the, by the way. We're never going to go back to the McCains and the Romneys because we will lose. You can't be a moderate. You can't be a limp noodle. You will lose. We need someone like a Ron DeSantis. We have that. We don't know if he's going to run yet. So right now, all we have is Trump. But then another part of me says, why are we still letting them set the narrative? Why are we still sitting here like, oh, they've they've heard his name so bad, so now we better dump him and now we better move on? Kind of part of me kind of goes, F that. You know, we did it once. We're going to do it again. We don't care what they call us. So part of me also doesn't want Trump to become so presidential and stiff that we lose the appeal that he had in the first place, which was to buck the system. So I just don't know how he's going to play this. And if I was consulting him, I don't even know what I would tell him at this point. Tommy, I think that we're reading the same sheet of music. I was thinking about that last night. I was listening to his speech and I said, man, screw these people. Maybe we should double down. Maybe we should go even harder, MAGA. But, you know, at the at the end of the day, I have to say I'm a man of God and I believe that we need to unite. And I know that we don't like certain people, but, you know, people rag on Mitch McConnell. If it wasn't for Mitch McConnell doing the dirty uh, against Barack Obama, we wouldn't have uh, conservative Supreme Court justices. He blocked that liberal that Obama was yeah. trying to force through. And if it wasn't for Mitch doing that, we wouldn't have a majority conservatives on the Supreme Court. You got to look at in, in, in 2010 and Obama's two midterms. We we destroyed them. And Mitch McConnell was the leader. We got 76 seats and 15 seats in the, in the Senate. We dominated Democrats and Mitch McConnell was the leader. So we we have to say what do we do to mesh and come together? Maybe MAGA have to compromise a little bit. We're never going back to the McCain Republicans. We're never going back to the soft Mitt Romney cowards. But at some point, Mitch, Trump, MAGA, a little bit of establishment, we got to try to merge at some point to say we need to put all of our money, energy, enthusiasm behind our Republican candidates. One example that's going to be clear of the direction of our country and the direction of the Republican Party. What are they going to do with Herschel Walker? Right. Uh, Mitch McConnell have tons of money. Donald Trump has tons of money. And and, and uh, uh, what's it? Warnock raised $72 million and Herschel Walker only have $32 million. What are we going to do in this, in this uh, runoff in Georgia if we come together and we win this seat? It is indicative of a successful Republican Party, and we will destroy these Democrats. They don't have a good message like we do. They're right. pushing for kids to get transgender surgeries. America is sick of it, but we have to be the solution to the problem. We can't be in addition to the problem. So if we do it right, Donald Trump may still have a chance. Donald Trump and another strong candidate running as his vice, vice president, we could actually do this thing. But we have to come together as a party, and we have to be mindful of what our message is and how it's coming across to the American people. We can't just blame election fraud because if we keep doing that, right. Republicans are not going to show up to vote because they think it's stolen anyway. And we're not going to work on our messaging. We're not going to work on our funding. We're not going to do the things that we need to do on our side to make sure we're the best that we can be moving forward. Last thing I want to say to you, because I know that you've been catching some heat. I caught a little bit of heat. Uh, there was a Raw Story article about me saying that I jumped off the Trump train. I mean, I don't know how they know what train I'm on or who I support, because I haven't come out and fully said one way or the other who I'm going to support. Because guess what? We only have one candidate right now, and it's Donald Trump. So right now, I support Donald Trump. But 
there's been a lot of people, of course, in our mega movement. I think you and I both embody that movement. We're a part of it, have been a part of it, proud to be a part of it. But there have been a lot of others in our movement that have said, oh, you know, you can't say a bad word about Trump. You can't even think about DeSantis because then you're a traitor. And for me, that's disheartening because you're right. We do need to come together and we can have an honest, open discussion about what it takes to win without being called a traitor. This is about the movement. This is not about Trump. This is not about DeSantis or whoever else. This is about the movement and winning. So I want to give you a second to talk to those out there that have been critical of you saying that you've dumped Trump. What do you say to those people? Well, I first say I don't care, but second, <laughs> I will say, oh, this is for my wife because my wife told me, you need to you, you get mixed, mixed messages. And I'm saying, okay. I mean, I love Trump. The reason why I'm a Republican, the reason why I was so enthusiastic about even being involved in politics was because of Trump. Trump inspired the world to get involved, whether you loved him or not. He inspired everybody. The guy is amazing. He did an amazing job. But for me, I'm a Christian first, and I believe in God, and Jesus is the only perfect person. Now, when it comes to the politicians, I'm going to weigh people like I've always been. I'm honest, open, and transparent. I'm not picking a person because they're popular. I'm picking a person that I believe in, that I like, and that I consider to be the best value for the movement, not the person. And we have to understand this. I know that there's a cult on our side. Some people, if you say that Trump uh, should have brushed his hair, they're going to call you a traitor and a shield. But in reality, we have to understand this. I love Trump. You love Trump. We all love Trump. But we have to be able to criticize and give constructive criticism on our side so we can become better. Trump can become better. And I believe we should push him to that point. If Ron DeSantis jumps in the race, I'm going to give them to a fair evaluation mm -hmm. because I am not worrying about personality. I'm worrying about who is going to have the best chance to win, because at the end of the day, nobody's going to be wearing a Trump shirt if we're sitting on the sideline and Democrats are running the election for the next 15 years. We need to figure out who's going to win. I love Donald Trump. He has my support a thousand percent. He is the Republican nominee. He's the leader of the Republican Party until something else change. I'm on the Trump train and I never jumped off. I'm right there with you. We have the same sentiment. I appreciate you coming back. <laughs> Every week is something new. And we're going to have to have you back after Georgia and we'll see what happens with that one. But thank you as always, Brandon, for sharing your time, fire and energy. And uh, as always, taking a little bit of the backlash that we're both going to get. But that's all right, because you're right. We don't care. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Tommy. All right. Up next, he fought the good fight to save California and came up short. But I want to know, is it savable? Is it worth saving? Larry Elder joins me next. I think there's an argument to be made that when we speak and distance ourselves too much, it's important to identify ourselves strongly as who we are. I, I think Tim Ryan ran a phenomenal race. Mandela Barnes ran a great race. I think there are racial dynamics in that race that need to be discussed in terms of how Republicans targeted a, a black man running in that race. Um, and I think that that needs to be just put out there. <laughs> oh, AOC, I think Herschel Walker would like to have a word with you on that whole targeting black men running for office, mouth diarrhea you just spouted there. Unbelievable. Democrats make everything about race when in reality they couldn't give two craps about race. Political affiliation is all they care about. Black conservatives are never given the same praise and in fact are attacked by the left even more brutally than they come for white conservatives. They hit below the belt because they're bottom feeders, but bottom feeders who somehow continue to win elections. 
Joining me now is the man who put up one hell of a fight to unseat the ultimate bottom feeder, Gavin Newsom. I welcome to the show the host of the Larry Elder Show, Larry Elder. Oh, Larry, it's so great to see you on such an important week with so much to talk about. Well, say hello to the black face of white supremacy, which is what the L.A. Times called me when I ran for governor. And regarding the AOC comment, Tommy, interesting, uh, didn't uh, Ryan run against uh, a white guy? So how does how, how does the, the race card factor into that race? I'm just a little curious about that. Yeah, it's all very interesting. Again, she completely discounts Herschel Walker. They all do. Uh, last time I checked, he is black and identifies as black, but they don't care about that. I want to start off, though, because you are in California, and uh, we know that Gavin Newsom was reelected. I don't think anybody is surprised at this point. California is California. But I have to ask you, Larry, I know that you fought to save California. Unfortunately, you came up short to no fault of your own. But why are you still in California? I left. Why are you still there? Well, I was born and raised here. My father came here after the war. I love the state. It's a beautiful state, horrible politician, but a beautiful state. So uh, somebody's got to turn out the lights. If, if the power doesn't go out because of the taxation on the energy grid, somebody's got to turn out the lights. No, I want to stay here and fight to save this, this state. The crime is out of control. The homelessness is out of control. People are leaving the state for the first time in 170 years. Uh, we've got fire mismanagement, water mismanagement. The schools are lousy. Uh, and the way the state was shut down against science because of COVID uh, means that a third of all restaurants, I kid you not, Tommy, a third of all restaurants, most of them are small mom and poppers run by black and brown people are now gone forever. At some point, you think that California, like a drunk or an alcoholic or a drug addict, is going to hit rock bottom and, and start waking up. So I'm waiting for that day. We're all waiting for that day. I'm not so sure it's coming, though. You know, what's really telling to me is when Californians repeatedly vote for more taxes, gas taxes on themselves, and then they vote for Gavin Newsom. I mean, I was really proud of that recall effort. I thought maybe, just maybe there was a light at the end of the tunnel, but now... I'm not so sure. I want to talk to you a little bit about Gavin Newsom. We know he's a horrible leader. We know that he's run California into the ground. But there's a lot of discussions that if, uh, you know, Joe Biden doesn't run in 2024, heck, if he's even not alive in 2024, that Gavin Newsom is the next likely bet to be the Democrat nominee. What do you think about that one? A couple of things about that, Tommy. First of all, people outside of California have no idea how radical this guy is. He's more radical than Bernie Sanders. And remember when Bernie Sanders won the Nevada caucuses, the Democrats coalesced behind Joe Biden because they were scared bleepless that a self-described Democrat socialist might become their standard bearer in 2020. Gavin Newsom has done so many things people are unaware of. Uh, he assigned a bill that sets up an independent body, believe it or not, to determine what your wages are going to be of your fast food workers if you own a fast food franchise. So a third party will tell you what your wages are. And the minimum wage, by the way, is going to be $22 an hour, well above the $15 an hour that the left is pushing for. He also signed legislation that sets up a, a, a task force uh, to determine reparations for black people in California. Never mind California was not a slave state. Never mind all the people who came to California after slavery. They're going to have to pony up money for reparations. He signed a bill to lower sentence enhancements for gangbangers because most of them are black and brown. And by, by definition, since most gangbangers in California are black or brown, uh, to punish them severely would be systemically racist. He has banned gasoline-powered cars by 2035. He's banned gasoline-powered leaf blowers and lawnmowers. Uh, he has mandated that everybody who graduates from high school must take a course in ethnic studies. He has mandated if you have, or if you are a large toy store seller, 
you have to have a gender neutral eye in case your girl wants to buy a gun or in case your boy wants to buy a doll. I guess they have to have a safe space aisle where they can do that. And that's just some of the things he wants to do. He wants to do single payer. He's expanded uh, uh, medical insurance for illegal aliens. I could go on and on and on. Most people have no idea how radical this man is. And once his record is exposed, uh, they're not going to vote for him. The second thing I have to say about this, Tommy, is this. If Gavin, if uh, if Joe Biden is not the nominee, the nominee has to be uh, Kamala Harris. Why? Well, because she was chosen because she's black, because she's a female. Uh, black voters have been trained that uh, when things go south, it's because of systemic systemic racism. Uh, and black women love, love, love them some uh, Kamala Harris. Her approval rating among black women is probably around seventy five percent. And if she is perceived as having been drop kicked. Uh, to the side for somebody else, especially a white person like Newsom or Mayor Pete. Black women aren't going to be so livid they'll vote Republican. They'll be so livid they'll stay home. In the early primaries, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, nearly half the voters are blacks, and most of those are black females. They are not going to have it. Uh, so they're stuck with Kamala Harris if Joe Biden is not the nominee. Well, what do you think about uh, Stacey Abrams, though? Because if you know if that all were true, you'd think Stacey Abrams would have done a little bit better in Georgia. Of course, we know that she did not. What do you think about her, her future, and Kamala? What if Kamala doesn't even want it? What if they give Kamala some cushy job somewhere, making a good check, and she just sails off into the sunset? Because, quite frankly, she doesn't even seem like she enjoys being in politics anymore. Well, remember, Kamala Harris ran for president, and her off-ramp was when there was an opening on the Supreme Court, uh, and Joe Biden had promised to give that to a black female. That was her off-ramp. And I'm sure they approached her, and I'm sure she said no. She wants to be president. Regarding Stacey Abrams, she's already lost two races, uh, spending over $100 million. Uh, I'm not sure what future she has, uh, other than she's sort of a, a celebrity candidate. Uh, who was played the race card and claimed that because of Georgia voter suppression law, uh, she was denied the election. So she's an election denier and then denied that she denied the election denier. Uh, and of course, Georgia saw record turnout. So the, uh, the business about Georgia being worse than Jim Crow, Jim Eagle, which is what Joe Biden said, uh, was a big fat lie. So I'm not quite sure uh, there's a whole lot of uh, a currency for, for Stacey Abrams. But, but Kamala Harris is vice president should be the presumptive front runner if and when Joe Biden does not decide to run in 2024. We're going to have to wait and see on that one, because if anyone is worse than Joe, it will be Kamala. If anybody's worse than Kamala, it's Gavin Newsom. I just don't know. What are they going to resurrect Hillary from the dead? I'm not entirely sure. I do want to go to Georgia, though. Uh, what do you think is going to happen if you were to make a prediction? Do you think Herschel Walker is going to be able to pull it out? And do you think Trump's announcement last night is going to help or hurt that runoff election? I think it's going to be hard for Herschel Walker to, to win. I supported Herschel Walker. I donated to his campaign. I intend to go down to Georgia and campaign with him and for him. But he got outspent three or four to one. Uh, and Democrats are flush with money because uh, of the uh, Donald Trump uh, economy that we're still uh, benefiting from. They hate, hate, hate the idea that the Senate is going to be back to 50-50. They're going to pour a boatload of money into the uh, other side. We're going to be outspent like we often are. Uh, you know, it's interesting this uh, cryptocurrency guy blew up. Turns out he spent $40 million in the midterms, uh, $10 million on, on Joe Biden. We're being outspent all the time. I got outspent about 5 to 10 to 1 here in California. Uh, and all they had to do was say, stop the Republican takeover. They didn't say Gavin Newsom is doing a great job on crime, on homelessness, doing a great job on the cost of living. The average price of a home in California is 175 percent above the national average because of the embrace of the, the environmental movement that stopped all construction here in California for any given reason. Uh, all they had to do was, however, just say, stop Republican takeover. I think we underestimate the extent to which 
People on the left despise Republicans and despise Donald Trump even more. So I'm not quite sure why how the Trump factor will help uh, uh, help uh, Herschel Walker, although, of course, it did help him in the primary. That's the tricky thing. So I want to go to that announcement last night. You know, I got to be honest with you, Larry, I've been a little conflicted on whether I think Trump should run again or if maybe his time is up, maybe he should pass the torch onto somebody else and just continue to be in the movement and inspire the movement, but maybe not be running in the movement. But last night, the announcement speech, I have to say, from my perspective, I thought he did a good job. He didn't mention 2020. Yeah. He didn't take shots at anybody like a Ron DeSantis. So yeah. I was happy about that. But what are your top right. line thoughts on what you heard from him at Mar-a-Lago last night? Well, speaking of him, him handing the torch to somebody, maybe he should hand, it, hand the torch to me. I'm really considering running for president, uh, Tommy, no kidding. But I thought the speech was very good. I think, I think you're right. Uh, he uh, did not tee off on Ron DeSantis or, or Glenn uh, Youngkin. Uh, I thought what he said about Youngkin's last name was pretty stupid. People are going to call that racist. Uh, and uh, he talked about the future and talked about uh, his success uh, as president. He has a wonderful record to run on. The economy was great. The borders were secured. He got three conservative Supreme Court justices up there. Our friends um, respected us. Our enemies feared us. Uh, he got a wonderful, wonderful record to run on. And, and uh, I knew he was going to run. I mean, he, he's been running ever since he left the White House. Uh, and uh, for once, the, the pundits were right about something that Donald Trump is, in fact, running. Well, hey, you said something that really piqued my curiosity here. You said that you're mulling over, contemplating, perhaps throwing your name in the mix for 2024. If you do decide to do that, let's just speak hypothetically. Are you ready to take on Donald Trump? Because, you know, if you put your name in there, he is going to come after you because that is his style. I don't think he's ever going to change. Are you ready for that incoming fire that you would get from Donald Trump? Well, when I ran for governor, I ran against several experienced Republicans, including a two-term mayor of San Diego. I ran against Caitlyn Jenner. I ran against a guy named Kevin Kiley, who just became a uh, congressman up in the northern part of, of California. I ran against John Cox, who ran against Gavin Newsom the first time in 2018. Uh, and I ran against a guy named Doug Osi, who's a former House member. And I never said one negative thing about any of my Republican rivals. And I became the front runner. I got 49 percent of the replacement vote, more than virtually all the other 45 rivals combined. I raised twenty two million dollars in seven and a half weeks. California has 58 counties, Tommy. I carry 57. The only one I lost uh, was San Francisco. And I lost that by 149 votes. So if I decide to run, I'm not going to uh, demean or denounce uh, anybody else whether it's uh, Donald Trump or, or Ron DeSantis or Mike Pompeo or Mike Pence. I have other things I want to talk about in addition to the obvious things about, about homelessness and, and crime and uh, inflation uh, and gas prices. There are two things that I think I bring to the table that others may not. One is this, the centrality of the need to have uh, a child enter the world with a father married to the mother. 70% of black kids do not have that, and there's a direct relationship between that and crime and all sorts of social problems. Uh, forget about elder. Barack Obama once said a kid raised by a father in the home is five times more likely to, to uh, be poor and commit, nine, and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in jail. It is the number one social problem in America. Hell, 40% of all American kids now enter the world without a father married to the mother. That number is up dramatically from what it was in the mid-60s. Why? Because our welfare state, in my opinion, has incentivized women to marry the government and incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. We need to get churches and nonprofits in, into this and deal with this on a moral basis. The second issue is this nonsense that America is systemically racist. Racism has never been a less important problem in America. 
When Obama got elected with a little more than 52% of the vote, Tommy, he entered the White House with 70% approval. Why? Because so many people who didn't vote for him said, okay, I don't like the tax, the spend, the regulate, the, the drive towards single payer, but at least this man will put a fork in the notion that America is systemically racist. And what did he do? Every single time he had a chance to say something reconciliatory and healing, he went the wrong way. The Cambridge police acted stupidly. By the son, he looked like Trayvon. America has racism in his DNA. He embraced Al Sharpton. He embraced the Black Lives Matter movement to the point where while a majority of Blacks and whites believed race relations would improve when he became president, the majority felt that race relations had gotten worse. I'm going to tell the story about how America is not systemically racist. And if you work hard, <clears throat> excuse me, if you work hard, uh, keep your nose clean, avoid the criminal justice system, and do a handful of things like don't have a kid until you get married, get married before you have that kid, uh, get a job, keep a job, don't quit that job till you get another job and avoid the criminal justice system, you will not be poor no matter what color you are. And my father is proof positive of that. Never knew his father, left home at, at the age of 13, Jim Crow South Tommy, um, uh, in Georgia. My dad cleaned toilets, two full-time jobs, ultimately started a little cafe near downtown LA. And by the time he retired at the age of 82, his net worth was just a little bit under a million dollars. Lifelong Republican, he always told my brothers and me, Hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. You can't control the outcome, Larry, but you are 100% in control of the effort. Before you moan about what somebody did to you, he would say, go to the nearest mirror, look at it and say, what could I have done to change the outcome? And finally, Tommy, he said this, no matter how good you are, how hard you are, how hard you work, bad things are going to happen. How you address those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. And my dad was a lifelong Republican, and he said this about Democrats. Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try to get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. So that's what I think I can bring to the table. And again, not to displace anybody to talk about these kinds of things, which I believe our side does not talk enough about. Hey, I love your platform. I loved it when you ran in California, and I think that you do an excellent job of communicating it. And I'm also somebody that does believe whoever our nominee is going to be in 2024, every single person has to work for it. It's not just a given because you are right. Donald Trump or because you're Ron DeSantis or because you're Larry Elder or anybody else. It doesn't matter. The titles don't matter. Everything goes out the window, and it's about who is going to work for it the most, who's going to remember the forgotten American, and who is going to carry that torch of the America First movement. And hey, I'm, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're considering it because we need more wonderful people. We've got a wonderful bench. The Democrats cannot say the same. <laughs> but Larry, thank you so much we for spending so much time with me and good luck in California. We hope it's savable. And I'm happy that there are still wonderful conservatives like yourself fighting the good fight and trying to change it. And tell your fans to throw something in the tip jar, elderforamerica.com, elderforamerica.com. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Larry. We'll hope to talk to you soon. And we're waiting for that announcement. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Larry. Up next, now that he's officially in the race for 2024, I have some final thoughts for President Trump. Dear Donald Trump, now that you're officially a candidate for 2024, I have a lot I want to say. It's time for final thoughts. Last night, Donald Trump, the greatest president of my lifetime, announced his third run for president. And if you're like me, going into it, you had some mixed feelings. I'm a Trump supporter. What he did for my country, your country, this country is undeniable. He went to battle for all of us, and he took no prisoners. Unemployment rates went to historic lows. Gas prices low. Our enemies scared. Our allies supported, but not given a blank check. The media called out. The rhinos called out and put on notice. 
the wall and border security, relentlessly fought for and important sections built. The forgotten American remembered. That was Donald Trump, a man on a mission with a side of mean tweets that most of us conservatives either looked past or laughed at. That was 2016 Donald Trump, and that Trump got it done. And then 2020 happened, and I'll admit I was pissed off too. Sham impeachments, then COVID fear-mongering, which wrongfully triggered mass mail-in voting, and not to mention BLM's summer of love, where big cities and even small towns burned in the name of St. Floyd. All of it was BS. Trump should have won, but he didn't. And I'll admit, for months and months, I was pissed off too, but then I had to let it go. Trump, he didn't let it go. He's regrettably spent much of the last two years with a chip on his shoulder, a vendetta, an ax to grind. When he hit the campaign trail for other Republicans, he largely made it about himself and his unfinished 2020 business. That disappointed me. It really did. But from the ashes of the January 6th marred mega movement, a sunshine state phoenix rose, Ron DeSantis. He impressed me and impresses the hell out of me. I think he'd make a great president. I do. And I think his road to the White House in 24 would be much easier than Trump's because he doesn't have the baggage. Both men would make great presidents. Trump has already proven to be one if he'd just get the hell out of his own way. It's not a question of if he'd be a great president. It's a question of if he can get elected at this point. In 2020, he had the bulk of the Republican Party, even the establishment types who were disingenuous, behind him. Now he doesn't. The unfair media, big tech, the crooked FBI and DOJ, and the rhinos are partly to blame for that, but so is Trump. So yeah, I'm conflicted. But I'll tell you this. What a blessing it is that we have two great men at the top of our list. Fighters, warriors, doers. What do the Democrats have? <laughs> Will Joe even make it to 2024? Kamala, she's a joke too, a do-nothing joke at that. Who else? Little Pete Buttigieg, the South Bend mayor turned transportation secretary who oversaw and still oversees a broken supply chain but took paternity leave at the height of it anyway? Yeah, no. <laughs> and then there's greasy Gavin Newsom and take one look at California, the fifth largest economy of the third world, and it's easy to give him and his failed leadership a big fat pass. What, are they going to resurrect this thing from the political dead? <laughs> Their bench isn't even a bench. So whether it's Trump or DeSantis or someone else that leaves our movement, let's not forget, this movement is about all of us. The forgotten, pissed-off, hardworking, America-loving, law enforcement-supporting little guys and gals who put Trump in office the first time. Whoever takes the torch in the mantle of America first and freedom above all should be, and with any luck will be, our 2024 candidate. Whoever wants it is going to have to work for it. So wait, watch, and let's see what happens. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to watch tomorrow night as we broadcast from Hollywood, Florida at the Fox Nation Patriot Awards. Until then, from Nashville, God bless and take care.